Certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here and to see what God is doing. I have to bring some greetings from the First Baptist Church of Hemet. Anyone here from First Baptist of Hemet? Uh, there you are. I don't know, maybe your name begins with a D or a B. I met a number of parents and folks and they said, if you get up there, I have two children, their names begin with, and I said, I'm going to use a mnemonic thing to help me remember, and all I remember is that it begins with a D and a B. So if you begin with that and you're from there, I bring you greetings from the First Baptist. And last uh, night I was over at the Sunnyside Baptist Church in Fresno, California. And there is someone there that says, uh, you're not writing to Scott. So I'm supposed to deliver a message to someone who's supposed to be writing to Scott. You're supposed to uh, heed the warning because he is not enjoying the fact that you're not writing to him. Now, whether that's uh, because you found someone else or you've forgotten how to, <laughs> how to write while you're here at school, I don't know. But to uh, take those two words of encouragement and do what you can with it. I have an interesting time going from college to college and observing uh, what takes place in between the classrooms and during lunch period and library and I like to watch the, the relationship between the boys and the girls and every school has their PDA rule. Uh, a PDA means public display of affection and every school has the way they allow or do not allow you to display your affections for those who, whom you are caring for. And now with Valentine's coming, I'm sure you're very concerned about that. The last school I was in, you were not allowed to hold hands at all. And so uh, the way the students were able to adjust to this great difficulty was that they found that the hymn books were very heavy in chapel. And it took two people to hold the hymn book. And so the young lady would put her hand under the hymn book and then the young man would... And together they were able to sustain the hymn book uh, while they were singing. And many times their Bibles were heavy also, so they had to hold their Bibles all the way through chapel. And that's how they were able to have PDA there at the Tennessee Temple University. I was at another school and perhaps this is what you've been doing here because I noticed in your announcement you talked a lot about smelly socks and evidently you must have uh, a particular way of showing PDA with socks. I was in one particular uh, college and I'm not going to give the name and I was visiting the library and there were two young people there at one of the tables and they were studying away. And they were having a good time in studying, but they were smiling all the time they were doing it. Not talking, not a lot of talk in the library, you know. So they, but they were, as they looked at their books, they just had the biggest grin on their face. Like, why are they so happy about studying? And I got up to leave, and, and as I looked back, you know what I saw? I saw that they had been holding feet under the table. <laughs> Now, they weren't allowed to hold hands at that particular campus from in Michigan, but evidently the <laughs> evidently that rule about uh, didn't say anything about uh, no dis public display of feet. So they they had their shoes off and they were holding their toes underneath the. <laughs> so maybe for Valentine's Day uh, you can do something like that here. Interesting, isn't it, to see what takes place and how God is brings things together. I've really enjoyed the opportunity to serve the Lord as a missionary with the Association of Baptists for Rural Evangelism. And as was mentioned, we do have a fine display over there in the dining hall. I'd like to talk with you. We have our message 
magazine. If you would like to know what God is doing through the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism throughout the world, you can sign up and receive that free in your mailbox. Someone will write to you, I guarantee you, at least we will. And you can receive that free every three months. Also, if you're interested in missions, we have a special little brochure for classified. Gives you current, up-to-date information regularly. What are the needs of the field? What kind of uh, programs we are looking for and people to staff those programs? So do feel free to... uh, take some of that material. Also, our ABWE program has started a church planting magazine. We're working in church planting all over the world. I'm directing church planting here in the USA. And every other month now we have the church planter. And if you're interested in being used of God to plant vibrant, growing churches, feel free to sign up. There's a place there. You'll receive it free every other month. And that'll give you good information on how to go about bringing into existence strong churches that are going to meet the needs of people. And finally, I've added a little pamphlet that I've written, Adding to Multiply, God's Plan for Church Planting. And I'll be over there uh, after chapel and in the afternoon. I'd just be glad to talk with you about what God's doing in your life and what are the plans He has for your life and how perhaps that might include ABWE and church planting and missionary activity all around the world. God is doing some very interesting things. There's always change in our life, and you folks are undergoing change. I've undergone a change. It's been very difficult. I had set as my goal as a freshman in college that I was going to be a foreign missionary until I retired. And just a few years ago, the Lord saw fit to change that and bring me back to the United States for not sure how long. And it's been interesting to see the change back to the United States. It's affected my understanding of theology and the way I interpret scripture. Now, in a missiological class, we'd call that contextualization. It's where you understand the scripture in the light of the context in which you are. I used to preach that Jesus Christ was the greatest foreign missionary that ever was. But now that I'm back here in the U.S., I've been able to have further insight into that. And I realized that Jesus Christ in his public ministry was not a foreign missionary, was he? He never left the country of Israel. He was always in his home country. Now, when he was a little baby, he went down to Egypt for a few years, but he never ministered outside his country. So the apostle Paul, like Jesus, was also a home missionary. I used to think Paul was a great foreign missionary. But that's not true. The Apostle Paul was a citizen of Rome and also a citizen of Israel. So in any area that he was ministering, he was always ministering in his home country. So now that I've had this great insight, I can say that Jesus Christ is the greatest home missionary that ever was. And the Apostle Paul was the greatest home missionary that has been produced by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm just excited to be part of those who are ministering here in the United States. And a great number of you, the vast majority probably, are going to work here in the United States. And we need to be prepared to do that. And although we understand things a little bit different, we see Paul in a different light, no longer a foreign missionary, but a missionary ministering to his context. There are certain things that never changed in the life of the Apostle Paul. And those were the convictions that motivated him and enabled him to be the man of God that changed the world. And I'd like to share with you some of those convictions this morning. In Romans chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 1 is the introduction or the prologue to that great theological treatise that we find in the book of Romans that talks about the the total depravity of man and the election of God and the foreknowledge of God and then moves us through the glorification. 
that before Paul moves into deep theology, systematic theology, he prefaces it with his convictions that relate to evangelism and outreach. And he tries very clearly to wed evangelism and theology. They're not separate. They are together. And if you have the right evangelistic convictions, then you will have the proper theological interpretation that will enable you to successfully be used of God to reach people for Christ. And in Romans chapter 1, we see three of those convictions that we're going to talk about this morning. First one we find in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. The Apostle Paul is uh, talking and writing and he explains how he feels about the gospel personally. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. So here right at the beginning of the book of Romans, Paul clearly delineates a, a major conviction that permeated his life. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now the gospel is good news. The gospel means that something has been changed and it works and it's valuable. Something that is exciting, something that's positive. Uh, last week, uh, my wife uh, was in the hospital and the doctor has said there's a possibility of, of cancer. And so she was there on the operating table and they took a biopsy and they removed some of the tissue. They sent it down to the lab and we waited to see what the result was going to be. Finally, the technician came back, the pathologist, and he said, I'm happy to report good news. It's non-malignant. And that was a, that was a very important moment for my wife and myself to receive that good news that she would be able to continue her normal life as God would continue to see fit. Good news, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is good news. Now how could we ever even think about being ashamed of good news? The word ashamed means to be embarrassed, to think that something is second class, think it's something that doesn't really work. A few years ago when I was leaving Brazil, I had to sell a number of my items. I had a nice IBM Selectic typewriter. I paid quite a bit for it. But now that I was coming back, I wanted to give it as a good price to some of my fellow missionaries. And so I put a price of only $150 on it. And it, it was worth about seven or 800 and different kinds of balls and different size types. And excellent machine. I put a price of $150. And one of my friends came and he said, boy, that's a good price. Norm, does it work good? I said, it works great. I said, do you want to try it out? So we plugged it in and it worked great. He said, I'll take it. Gave me the $150 and he went home. A little later he called me up and he said, Norm, have you ever had any trouble with that typewriter? I said, no, it works great. I said, you were there in my house just a little while ago. It worked good. He said, well, you know, it's not working. I said, you're sure? No problem. I said, bring it back and let me see what I can do. So he brought it back and I tried and I couldn't do anything. So I took it over to the technical and it cost me $35 to get it fixed. Well, he guaranteed that it was fixed. So I brought the typewriter back home. I called my missionary friend. I said, I've got the typewriter. It's working good. Come over and pick it up. He came over, he picked it up. We plugged it in. Worked great. Took it home. The next day he called me and says, Norm, that typewriter is not working very good. He said, are you sure you never had any trouble with that? And about that time, I was beginning to get a little embarrassed because I said, I'd never had any trouble. I've had it for three years. I said, bring it back. So he brought it back. I took it back to the technical. 
another $15. Got it back again. He guaranteed it was working. Now of the 150, I now had 100 left. He took it home, and I said, let's see if it's working. We plugged it in. It worked. The next day, he called me again. He said, Norm. I said, don't tell me that typewriter's not working. He said, I don't want to tell you that, but he said, it's not working. And about that time, I was embarrassed to tear. He said, are you sure you never had any problem with that typewriter? I said, I've never had any problem with it. He said, would you mind if I got my money back? I said, sure, I'll give you your money back. So he brought the typewriter back. I gave him 150 back, but I'd already spent 50. And I was embarrassed because I'd promised and I had guaranteed and I said there was no problem and then they were having problems. Finally, I called one of my friends and I said, I have a typewriter here. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. I'd like to give it to you. I'm not making any promises. Would you like to accept it free? I'm not going to charge you anything. So I, I gave my typewriter away and you know what? It never gave a bit of trouble after I gave it away. I guess the Lord just wanted that fellow to have it for free. But what I was trying to illustrate is I said something, but I did, couldn't back it up by the product. I said the product works good, but in the application of it, it doesn't work. Paul says raised to the gospel. That'll never happen. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is positive. It's good news. It'll work. It'll work in Brazil. It'll work in... In California, it'll work in Florida, it'll work anywhere. Anywhere you take the gospel, the gospel will work. And that's the greatest thing about it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. I was preaching in one of my first churches there in the suburb of Sao Paulo. And as I gave the invitation, uh, Manuel and Zilda responded. And they came and I said, let's go over to the counseling room. And we went into the counseling room and began to talk with Manuel and Zilda. And there as we talked with them, they said they wanted to open their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And they said, uh, Pastor Antonio, as I'm referred to, uh, do you know what we were doing last night? I said, no, tell me, what were you doing last night? They said, uh, we were out at the crossroads. Remember that crossroads down there? That crossroads down there? Five roads come together. I said, yeah, I know that one very well. They said, we were down there offering sacrifices to the evil spirits last night. Down in Brazil, there's a lot of spiritism. There's well over 3,000 spiritist centers just in the city of Sao Paulo. And he said, we were down there and we had cut the head off of a chicken. And we offered that chicken. We drank the blood. And this is what we were doing last night. And now that night, they had accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And so naturally, I was very concerned what was going to take place in their life. How they were going to grow and develop and see what was going to change in their life. You know what Manuel and Zilda are doing today? He is the pastor of that church. And for the last four years, he's been pastoring that church. And under his leadership, that church has now started two other churches. Now, can I be ashamed of that? Can I be embarrassed because of what the gospel did to Manuel and his lovely wife, Zilda? From a man who was out on the street corners sacrificing chickens to now serving and preaching the living word of God. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's worked in my life. It's worked in their life. It'll work in anybody's life. 
And that's the great thing about the gospel. Anywhere we go, and that's why the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism is working all over the country, all over the world. We're seeing God doing some significant things. And wherever we go, no matter what we do, we see that the gospel is working. You're working with the Quechua Indians down in Peru. The gospel is changing lives. Working with those, those people in uh, Japan who are deaf and cannot hear. That's our fastest growing church planting ministry in Japan. In the last, I'd say, eight, nine years, there has been 14 strong, independent, autonomous churches planted by the membership is deaf, the pastors are deaf, the whole congregation is deaf, and they are just growing and reaching out. What a thrill it is to see what God is doing in that section of the world among that group of people. Anywhere we send missionaries, over in Bangladesh, among the tribes, tribal people, or wherever we go, the gospel works. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we should never be ashamed of it. But you know there are times in your life and my life that uh, the devil and the flesh and the world sort of wants to make us try and be ashamed of that we are children of God. Somehow that manifests itself whenever we go out to eat. And when you go out to McDonald's or someplace, you usually pray a little different than you do over here in the dining hall. Did you ever notice that? When you go out to eat the next time, See if you don't catch yourself saying, uh, let's pray as you reach for your eyebrows. You know what you're doing when you're reaching for your eyebrows? You're covering your eyes so that no one sees that you're praying. And what it is, is uh, that's that little tension. Am I going to pray? I don't want to think you stand up and hold your hands up and pray. But he said, now you're going to say, now, am I going to pray so that they, somebody could know that I was praying? Or am I going to sort of hide it? Or some people are so embarrassed they drop their napkin. And while they're down behind the table picking up their napkin, uh, they pray and no one ever would have guessed that that's what they were doing. And you know why that happens? Because the devil tries to make us feel that it's sort of not right to be a Christian. There's something wrong with those who follow the true and living God. There's something wrong with those who are not... And we believe that. And it manifests itself in little ways like that. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now sometimes we ought to be ashamed of the way we act, and the way we live, and the way we practice the gospel. I was eating in one of the restaurants there in Sao Paulo with one of my senior missionaries. And as we walked into the restaurant, you could just tell that he was having one of those not-so-good days. And as we sat down, he noticed that his plate was not quite as clean as it should be. So he called the garçon over and he, he said, this plate is dirty. And he says, I don't eat off a dirty plate. Now, would you give me a new plate? So he got a new plate. And then the gentleman brought the, uh, the glass with ice water. And he complained, there's not enough ice in this water. Would you bring me another glass that has more ice in it? I could see that the day was not going to be real good, and so we ordered our particular platters, and he wanted some particular kind of sausage, and he wanted to make sure it was well done. So he said, I want it well done. Well, when it came, it wasn't well, well done as he thought it was, and so he called the garçon over again. He said, would you take this back and do it right? And after we had done all that, we had finished eating, we got up to leave, and you know what he did? He reached into his pocket, and he pulls out a track, and he lays it down. Well, I looked at that track and I was thinking what had been transpiring over those few minutes. And as we walked up to the cash register, I purposely left my briefcase there under the table. As we got up to the cash register, I said, oh, I forgot something. And I went back to get something. But it wasn't primarily my briefcase. You know what it was? It was the track. 
And as I got back to the table, I pricked up my briefcase, I took the track, and I put it in my pocket, and I walked away. Very sad, wasn't it? Here was a veteran missionary in a foreign country, dedicating his life to serve God, to reach people for Christ, and living the gospel in such a way that it was an embarrassment that I had to hide the track so that that individual wouldn't think that that's what believers are like. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But there are times that maybe God is ashamed of the way we live the gospel, the way we practice our Christian life. And it's very important that we live the gospel the way the gospel is taught here in the scriptures. We're to practice the word of God in such a way that we'll never bring embarrassment to the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God's salvation to everyone that believes. When I was in seminary in Grand Rapids, I had the opportunity of starting a young marriage couple's class. And I was going out visiting. And right near the, as I was graduating and I was ready to leave for Sao Paulo, Brazil, I was visiting and I met a young couple. And as I talked to them in their home, I invited them out to church, Calvary Baptist. And I said, would you like to come out? They said, well, we're Catholic. I said, that's very, very interesting. I said, you know, most people aren't interested in any kind of spiritual things at all. I said, I'm glad to see that you're interested in spiritual things. I said, how often do you attend your church? They said, well, we don't attend very often. I said, uh, why don't you? They said, well, we don't have a car. I said, well, uh, I'd be glad to invite you and bring you to our church. They said, well, if we're going to go to any church, we're going to go to our church. I said, uh, I'd be glad to help you. I said, what if we did the following? I said, on Sunday morning, I'll take you to your church, the Catholic church there in Grand Rapids. And on Sunday night, then I'll take you to the Baptist church there where I attend. They said, would you do that? I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to do that. I said, because I'm interested in your spiritual life and I want you to know the truth. And I want you to have the opportunity to hear the word of God. And so we made arrangements. So for a number of weeks, about four or five weeks, every morning, on Sunday morning, I'd go out to their home, pick them up, drop them off at the Catholic Church on Sunday morning. After church, we'd go back and pick them up, take them home. Then on Sunday evening, we'd bring them over to our church. Now, do you think I was afraid about that? Was I thinking, what's going to happen? What are they going to think? Are they going to become stronger Catholics? Or am I making the wrong decision? And I... I I said, no, I'm not making it. Some people said, well, you ought to do that, Norm. That's not really right. I mean, taking them to a, a church that you know doesn't preach the gospel, you ought to do that. I said, I'm not embarrassed about the gospel. I said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I said, I believe the gospel will work in their life. And if they're here under the teaching of the word of God, I believe a change can take place. You know what began to happen? Just shortly before I left for Brazil, a couple of times they said, well, uh, what's your church like on Sunday morning? Can we come to your church on Sunday morning? And so instead of dropping him at the Catholic church on Sunday morning, we take him to our church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And right about that time then, I went off to Brazil. And naturally, I've been gone for many, many years, and I had lost all contact with that couple. A year ago, this month, I was preaching at Grand Rapids at the seminary, at the Bible conference. And as I was preparing for the morning message, uh, a lady came up to me, and she said, Do you remember me? And that's a terrible question to ask the missionary. I mean, he's in hundreds of churches, and, and especially out of local church contact. Do you remember me? I said, I'm sorry, I really don't. Can you give me a little bit of help? And she said, uh, do you remember taking someone to the Catholic church many years ago? And all of a sudden, the computer began to download. And I said, uh, are you Pat, Corey? And she says, yes, I am. She said, I heard that you were speaking here. She said, I just wanted to come over and talk with you. And she said, I want to introduce my two sons to you. 
and she had two teenage boys there and she says now both these are my sons and she says both of them are going to the college here and I told them I knew you and I told them that I was going to introduce them to you and she said uh, I want to tell you what happened after you went to Brazil she said God began to work in my heart and life and my husband and I we both accepted Christ as our personal savior and we were baptized and joined the church and now we're over in Muskegon faithfully in that church and now two of my sons are here at this school and she said I just want to thank you for being willing to expose us to the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? Just because I knew that the power of God was in the word of God. And when the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and brings it into the heart and life, we don't have to wonder, will it work? Of course it'll work. What we have to do is apply it. What we have to do is share it. What we have to do is live it. And as we do that, if we have that conviction, we'll never be ashamed of it. We'll never be embarrassed because the gospel will always fulfill what it says it'll do. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we're looking for missionaries who are living the gospel and are not ashamed to say, I've been saved by the grace of God and I'm living by the power of the Spirit, and we are endeavoring to practice the will of God for our life. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Notice what he says in verse 14. He talks about a second conviction there. He says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. I hear he delineates a little further what his commitment to the gospel means to him in his, in his personal life. I am a debtor. Now that's a word that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. I'm sure you have a financial aid office here. And I'm sure you have a, an individual that likes to receive checks periodically. Or you're not able to continue on here. Many of you are in debt. You owe money. Now I have three sons. And uh, perhaps all three of them are in debt. The one particular boy is in debt. My son uh, Bob, he's a junior in high school. Last summer I got him a job at a good Christian camp. And while he was there working in the kitchen, scrubbing the floors and the pots and pans, you know what happened? The young lady that was working in the kitchen, serving the food, began to catch his eye. Pretty soon, she caught his eye and he caught her eye. And it was just in a short period of time, they were deeply in love. Oh, they were so in love. But then came the end of August. And they had to separate and my son lives in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and Betsy lives about four hours into Pennsylvania, Lancaster County. And I said to my son, Bob, I said, I know how you feel. I said, I'll pay for one phone call a month to Betsy. I said, can't go over a half hour, but I'll pay for it. But I said, anything over that, you have to pay for it. And I said, now, you know, long distance phone calls, they cost money. You know, big junior in high school, he knows something like that. And he says, don't worry, Dad, I'll take care of it, I'll handle it. So periodically I saw him on the telephone and I said, Bob, are you talking to Betsy? He says, yep. I says, well, you better be careful. We're going to get a phone bill pretty quick. He says, I'll take care of it, Dad. I said, remember, I'm paying for one. My phone bill came. You know how much it was? $394. That shows how much he loved her. I mean, $394. And when I got that phone bill, I couldn't believe it. And when he got it, he couldn't believe it. I said, Bobby, let's find out which one, the highest one. I said, we'll deduct that and, I'll, and you'll pay the rest. With about $355 in debt. And do you think he likes that? He doesn't like it at all. 
And when I left Cherry Hill on Friday, he had gotten paid. He's working now at a, at a retirement center washing dishes again. And he gave me $90 on Friday morning. He still owes me another payment and he's all done. But it's taken him from September, now up through February, that to pay, to liquidate that debt that he had of love. Paul, so it's nice getting into debt. He liked getting into debt, but boy, it's difficult to get out of debt. And Paul says, I'm in debt. He says, I'm a debtor. Now he's not talking now about money. But he's talking about a moral obligation, a spiritual obligation. He said, I have a responsibility to certain individuals. He said, I have received the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. It's changed my life. It'll change anybody's life. It'll change anybody's life anywhere in the world. Therefore, he says, I am in debt to all kinds of people, to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. He said all kinds of people, the up and outers, the down and outers, the higher class and the underclass, every individual needs the gospel. And Paul says, I have a moral obligation to see to it that they hear and understand and have an opportunity to accept Christ as their personal savior. He says, I assume that obligation. And he says, I will pay my debts. He says, I am a debtor. And an individual that is in debt should assume the responsibility. I'm going to pay my debt. I'm going to faithfully discharge my responsibility. And Paul said, I am a debtor to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise, to all kinds of people. And that's why we in ABW are trying to reach all kinds of people all over the world. And God is doing some, some significant things. And if the gospel is preached, lives are being changed in every area of the world, in all different stratas of society, from the, the large Takuna Indians, we have churches of over 3,000, back up there in the Amazon rivers. Large churches that God is doing significant things among the Takuna Indians. And then down to the large cities of Sao Paulo, Brazil, 16 and a half million people. Makes Los Angeles look like a little bird. I flew into Los Angeles last night and I looked out for a tiny little song we have down here. Compared to Sao Paulo, 16 and a half million people. What an opportunity to work in that city and to see God change lives. Paul says, I am a debtor to all kinds of people. Now, some kinds of people where it's nicer to reach. Some kinds of people sort of like us. Other people will sort of respond in a very positive way. But Paul said, I have a moral obligation to reach all kinds of people, no matter what they are like. As I said, in Sao Paulo we have a lot of spiritism. And in my second church, it was a center of demonic activity. And as we began to develop that church and people began to be saved, and we began to see those who had been witches and warlocks, and those who had been involved in that from the time they were just born, begin to have their lives changed and transformed. And I remember we were able to talk with this one young lady. The first time I met her, she was about 22 years of age. She was controlled by quite a number of demons. And she had been baptized into that from the time she was born. In the whole cloven right there near our church. And, and on one particular night when we were at her home, we saw the gospel set her free. And she was liberated from that demonic force. And her life changed. And she gave us, I had a little Volkswagen, she gave us three carloads of paraphernalia that she used from swords to beads to everything and so we took it out and burn it 
And then her father and mother and the whole clover, and they came and they said, we want that material back. And I said, we're, we're not going to give it back. I said, for one, I wouldn't give it back. And two, because I said it was given to me. And two, I said, it's been destroyed. I can't give it back. And they said, we're going to destroy your church. And I'll tell you that it got very difficult. For a year there, as we worked in the Americanopolis Baptist Church, we felt uh, face to face the onslaught of the devil. And as we worked among those people, we saw God break the power of the devil in that particular area of Sao Paulo, Brazil. And the church began to grow and to reach out. And young people were saved. We'd have as many as 70 to 80 to 90 young people out for a Saturday night and their lives were changed. All because we had a debt to reach all kinds of people. Paul says, I am a debtor and as much as in me is, I am going to do it. Now that's the third conviction that he has. It says, as much as in me is, verse 15, I am ready to preach the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel works. It works in my life and it works in anybody's life anywhere. And he says, because I have it and other people don't have it, it's my moral obligation to see that they get it. And he says, I, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he says, I am eager, could be a better translate, I am eager to preach the gospel at Rome. And you know what happened to Paul at Rome, don't you? That's where he lost his head. That's where he was martyred. He says, I'm eager to even go there to preach the gospel. One particular time I was down in Sao Paulo, we were in construction in another one of our churches. And I was going to make a large withdrawal from the city bank. Sao Paulo. So I took one of my missionaries because they're going to be taking about a thousand dollars and we had to get a because the inflation had a whole suitcase full of money so I went into the city bank there right in the center of Sao Paulo and I got a thousand dollars worth and filled up my little briefcase and I walked off across the Avenida San Juan and the Avenida San Juan is a one lane of traffic sort of like the freeway out here. I mean there's eight lanes of traffic one way and Brazilians drive Great. They drive like Emerson Fitty Paul. Now he has been the world uh, class uh, race driver for a number of times. And they all like to imitate Emerson. And as I was crossing that street, now the light was red so I had the right to cross. As I got halfway across, hundreds of people around, all of a sudden I was attacked by four men. One man hit me from the front, one man hit me from the side, one hit me from the back. And the fourth man grabbed my suitcase full of money, my briefcase. Now what was supposed to happen, I was supposed to get knocked down. But because, for some reason, the Lord protected me, I didn't get knocked down. So I saw what happened, and I saw who had my money. And he took off down through the traffic, that eight lanes of traffic. Just then the light opened up, or turned green. And the traffic started coming this way, and he goes after, that way, running through the traffic. Well, as much as in me was, I stood there, and I said, Sir, would you please stop? I said, now that's good Christian money. It was given by Christian people. Those are the ties of elderly ladies and little children. And I wonder if you would stop, please, and return that money to me. Now, do you think I did that? Not on your life. I have never gotten my money back. As much as in me was, I took off after that fellow. And as fast as I could run, I was on his tail down through the traffic, in and out of those taxi drivers and all the Volkswagens. And I went a half a block and I got a little closer. As we closed in on the block, I got a little closer. He ran behind the bus and I ran in front of the bus. And I met him on the other side of the bus and down he went. And I was on top. And we were having a good time uh, talking to him about what he ought not to do with my money. <laughs> Finally, I got my lecture finished and I grabbed my briefcase and I began to run. 
because I didn't know what was going to happen where these other three men all I knew is that I got my money back and I was on the run and I made it over to the bookstore with my thousand dollars but if I hadn't taken the decision to go after that man I'd have never gotten it it would not have ever come back to me and Paul says as much as in me is I am ready I am eager I want to preach the gospel now and the only way the gospel is ever going to get to the ends of the world, the only way people are going to hear, the only way lives are going to be changed and transformed, is we say, I am going to do it. It's my responsibility. It's my opportunity. And I'm going to make the opportunities. And we're going to see to it that people hear the gospel everywhere. In December 5th of 1961, I was a student at Cedarville College. And right after morning chapels, very similar to this, I went to the, a particular room there at Cedarville and God was speaking to my heart about missionary service and I went into that room and I shut the door and I began to study the scriptures and pray and once again I said, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary, I'd be glad to do that. Just reveal it to me and I'd be happy to do it. And as I read from Acts chapter 13, Scripture says, separate me Paul and Barnabas for the work around to I have called them. And the Lord so impressed that verse in my heart that I wrote in Mars in my Bible, my calling to the mission field, December 5th, 1961. Looks at my watch, 11.05. And I remember writing, and I kept a personal diary then, I remember writing the diary, if I'm ever going to be a foreign missionary, I'm going to have to be a missionary right here at home. And I lived off campus, about a mile off campus. And I began to try and work on various people that were work there up along the way to work. And this one particular family God laid on my heart and I tried to reach them, tried to reach them, couldn't quite seem to find a way to do it. And I was working in the college cafeteria at that time. And uh, they had veal patties. And I don't know if they ever had veal patties here, but the veal patties there were terrible. No one wanted veal patties. And as, there, and as we, I was back in the kitchen, boy, I had piles of veal patties. And uh, all of a sudden, I got an idea. That family that I've been trying to reach has a nice boxer dog. I wonder if he could eat these veal patties. Maybe somebody could use. So I got a big bag of veal patties. As I walked back to the dormitory, I stopped at the door and I said, uh, I have something here for you. I said, well, it's really for your dog. I said, you know, you know me. I said, we've been talking, making friends. I said, I work up the cafeteria. We have a lot of these veal patties. Would you be offended if I uh, gave you for your dog? And they said, well, that is very nice. Imagine a young man like you, college student, interested in our dog. <laughs> I said, well, sure I am. They said, well, come on in, let's talk a little bit. So we went in and talked. And I said, you know, I'm really interested in your dog, but I said, you know, I'm really interested in you folks. Because I said, the most important thing in the world to me is that I know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. And I'd like to just share with you what Christ has done for me. Would you allow me to do that? And I said, I'd be glad to come back and have some Bible studies. They said, yeah, we'd like that. So every Tuesday night for a number of weeks, I would go back to Mr. and Mrs. Peterson's house. And on one particular Tuesday night, as I shared the gospel, you know what happened? Mrs. Peterson said, you know, I'd like to accept Christ as my personal Savior. So we got down on our knees beside the sofa there. And she opened her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think if I'd have said, well, I'm going to wait till I get to Brazil and then I'm going to do it. Then, because they're the real heathen are over there. That's when I can really, no. If, if you're going to reach people for Christ, if you're going to serve God, you've got to start right now. And that's what Paul said, as much as in me is, I am eager and ready now to share the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants all of us to make those kind of convictions 
our kind of convictions. The Apostle Paul was able to be used of God because he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He realized his power and effectiveness. He also assumed personal responsibility. I am a debtor. And he said, I'm going to pay my debts and I'm going to do it now. And as we're here preparing for God's service, those convictions, if they're in our heart and in our life, you know what's going to happen? God is going to use you effectively and fruitfully now and in the days, in the years, in the years that come. But it only will happen as we say, Lord, I want those convictions to be now in my life. And we're looking for missionaries who have those kind of convictions, that are practicing what the Bible teaches. And if you practice what the Bible teaches, the Word of God, you will have an effective missionary ministry right here. And wherever God would see fit to use you, you can be assured that the gospel will work. Because first of all, it worked in your heart and life. Let's pray.